fighter verse this week as a church is from Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are my strength and my portion forever. And the psalmist says that in the midst of great suffering and the trials the Lord himself is bringing him through. Um, With that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that you would use Hebrews 12 and the truths that are in it to help us say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. There are a lot of weary runners in this building. The Christian life has been far more difficult than they expected. And they're unsure, even this morning, of whether or not they want to continue on the path of obedience. And I pray that you might use some of the truths this morning to keep them in the race and to help them persevere to the end. We all need these. So help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to get a show of hands. Who has heard of Adoniram Judson and his wife, Anne? All right, about a third of you. Not bad. In the early 1800s, Adoniram and Anne Judson served as missionaries in, in Burma. According to one article, they served as a spearhead for the modern mission movement and the spread of the gospel in Asia. At the same time, the Judson's uh, service in Burma was marked by years of toil and, and hardship, loneliness and grief. Listen to one tragic loss that Sharon James narrates. It says, The year after their arrival, the Judsons rejoiced at the birth of a baby boy whom they named Roger. Before his first birthday, the infant succumbed to one of the diseases so common in the native climate. The loss was the more appalling as Anne and Adniram were totally alone in a foreign land without the fellowship of their friends and family. Anne wrote in a letter home of their grief and enduring faith, and uh, I want you to listen very carefully to the way uh, Anne processes the loss of their baby. Our little, our, our little Roger, our only little darling boy, was three days ago laid in the silent grave. Eight months we enjoyed the precious little gift, in which time he had also so completely entwined himself around his parents' hearts that his existence seemed necessary to their own. But God has taught us by afflictions what we would not learn by mercies. 
that our hearts are his exclusive property, and whatever rival intrudes, he will tear it away. But what shall I say about the improvement we are to make of this heavy affliction? We do not feel a disposition to murmur or to inquire of our sovereign why he has done this. We wish rather to sit down submissively under the rod and bear the smart, that is, take the pain, till the end for which the affliction was sent shall be accomplished." Our hearts were bound up in this child. We felt he was an earthly all, our only source of innocent recreation in this heathen land. But God saw it was necessary to remind us of our error and to strip us of our only little all. Oh, may it not be in vain that he has done it. You know, many Christians walk through pains like this one. The path of obedience brings with it much hardship, much loneliness, and much grief. But how many Christians process the hardship and the pain like we observe here in Ann Judson? I'm thankful for her example, and I'm also thankful that the Lord gives grace when we encounter those hardships. Still, I must ask if that's the way I would respond. Would I sit down submissively under the rod of discipline, ready to learn from the Lord? Last week we learned that the Christian life is like running a race, but that race is one that requires endurance. The path of obedience is marked by many tribulations, and those tribulations make us weary. I mean, losing your baby while already lonely and already exhausted and away from home is enough to make anybody want to quit. Moreover, the questions, they begin to hound you, don't they? Lord, isn't this suffering too much for me? Or, Lord, you say that you're loving, but it doesn't feel like it. Isn't this pain the most unloving thing? Or, Lord, what is the point? Is this suffering meaningless? Because it sure feels like it. The hardship, the pain, the the hounding questions, they make us weary. And in order to endure, we need help. We need divine help. We need help processing the hardships. We need need help answering these questions. Well, Hebrews 12 is in your Bible to do just that. These Christians had grown weary through trials. There was their own struggle uh, against sin, against temptation. And then there was the persecution that was was coming uh, at them. So they had these internal pressures and these external pressures that made them weary, and these folks are on the verge of quitting, on the verge of giving up on Jesus. They need endurance. And so the Holy Spirit inspires these words to help them endure. The Holy Spirit inspired these words to help you endure. So let's read them together, and then we're going to talk about what they mean. Verse 3 He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There are two main exhortations here, and the first comes in verse 3. Consider Jesus. The second comes in verse 7. The ESV has, it is for discipline that you have to endure. The NIV, I think, is better here. It says, endure hardship for discipline. So, consider Jesus... Endure hardship. Those are the main points. And they relate to each other like this. We endure hardship by considering Jesus and your status as sons in Jesus. All right, there's more to it than that, so let's jump in by looking at the first exhortation with its supporting verses. Consider Jesus for your endurance. Okay, we saw last week in verse 1 that we must run the race with endurance. And then he also told us that we're going to do that by looking to Jesus, who for the joy set before him, what did he do? Endured the cross. Well, verse 3 is taking that further now. He says, consider him who endured. There's that word again. Considered him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. To consider means to give careful deliberation. We study his sufferings, all of them, from his birth, through his cross. In great detail, we we turn them over in our minds as we compare His sufferings to our own sufferings. Hebrews has done some of that for you already, hasn't he? Chapter 2, verse 10, In order to get the many sons to glory, God made Jesus perfect through sufferings. Chapter 4, verse 15, Who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin. Chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. 
And now here in chapter 12, verse 2, we see the shame of the cross. In verse 3, he endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So Hebrews has already been turning over the sufferings of Jesus for you and, and looking at them and comparing and telling you what you ought to learn from them. We must preach Jesus' resurrection power, Jesus' glorious seat at God's right hand, Jesus' authority to crush His enemies. But we must also consider Jesus' sufferings and how His endurance played out in the midst of the suffering. And the purpose is that you will find strength for your endurance through suffering. That's what it says. Consider Him so that, or in order that, you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Are you feeling weary? You're not really done with Jesus, but man, the sorrow sometimes makes you want to be done. You feel like that. If that's you, the Holy Spirit says to consider Jesus. By considering Jesus' endurance against sinners, we find strength for endurance against sin. Do you see the comparison there? Jesus against sinners, you against sin. So the, the idea is that regardless of how this opposition to God's rule is manifesting itself... Sin inside of us, sinners outside of us. Jesus, He walked this road before us. The Christian must find endurance in this this struggle by considering Him. In Him, we will find everything necessary to endure. And here's one way that plays out in verse 4. He says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, chapter 10, verse 32, said that they had endured a hard struggle with sufferings. It says they were exposed to reproach and affliction. Some were imprisoned. Others lost their property because they partnered with those in prison. None of them, though, had yet been martyred. Still, it was enough suffering to make them waver, to make them want to quit, and that's a real concern. When we suffer in the path of obedience, one objection often raised is, Lord, isn't this pain too much? Aren't these hardships too much, too many? And based on verse 4, Hebrews answers with, no, it's not too much. Consider Jesus who went before you. You haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now that's got an edge to it, doesn't it? It cuts against our self-pity. You have hardships, yes, but have you considered Jesus' hardships? Have you considered His endurance unto death? Now, how could that possibly increase someone's endurance? Have you ever been in a situation where you're describing how much the trial hurts you, only to have someone then compare it to something worse? 
I mean, it feels like they're saying, I mean, a lot of times the motives are good, but it feels like they're saying, you shouldn't feel this way. Or, just get over it. That's small compared to this. That's not exactly what's happening here. The comparison isn't brought up to say, get over it. It's brought up to say, your sufferings are not too much for the Lord. I mean, if the Lord sustained Jesus through sufferings far worse than you will ever experience, will He not also sustain you through something lesser? They haven't resisted yet to the point of death. But considering the sufferings of Jesus will prepare them when death comes. If the Lord sustained Jesus through an event as awful as the cross, He is able to sustain those united to Jesus who also take up their cross and follow in His footsteps. Yes, you've suffered, but you haven't yet resisted to the point of blood. The lesser sufferings shouldn't make you quit the race. It shouldn't make you quit the sacrifices. It shouldn't make you quit pouring yourself out in love without reciprocation. God is able to get you through even worse sufferings. Just consider Jesus' sufferings and you will see it. Another objection we feel in suffering, though, is this one. Lord, you say that you're loving, but it doesn't feel like it. Is it this pain a most unloving thing? And that's where verses 5 and 6 come in. Not only should we consider Christ who went before us, we must remember the Father who loves us. Listen to verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. That's a quotation from Proverbs 3.11. I mean, this is some seven to nine hundred years before these Christians are even born. But notice how it still speaks in the present. The exhortation addresses you, addresses you as sons. So it's still saying, written nine hundred before, God's still saying something to his people. Again and again in Proverbs, you find the language of a father imparting wisdom to his son. But he's not just any father. He's a godly father. He's a father who reflects the way God himself would instruct his own son to live. Of course, we get a realization of this in the incarnation. In the person of Jesus, we find the son of all sons. And what do we see in Luke's gospel? We see the son growing in wisdom. We see in Colossians the Son in whom are all the riches of wisdom. The way Proverbs 3.11 still speaks to you is by your union with Christ. 
In Christ, God adopts you into His family. He makes you His sons and daughters, such that when we read Scripture, we are hearing words not from some unknown God, far off, unacquainted with our hardships. We're hearing our Father speak. A Father who has loved us with a great love. A Father who has named us as His own. A Father who cares for us very deeply. I want to know what He thinks about my hardships. In the path of obedience, how does He teach us to view our hardships? And this passage is teaching us that we are to view them as discipline from a loving Father. Hardships may come at us due to the consequences of our own sinful choices. Hardships may come at us due to enemies persecuting us unjustly. Hardships may come to us due to the general brokenness of this world, but however they come in the path of obedience, all of them are designed by our Father who disciplines the one He loves. Don't think discipline only in a negative, corrective sense here, though that could be present from time to time in our lives. By discipline, Proverbs also means in a positive and formative sense. My friend uh, Ched Spellman once illustrated this well. He said, think of the hands of a father, the hands that help his daughter learn how to walk down the hallway, are the same hands that keep her from bolting down the stairs or into the street. The same voice of the father that says, Yes, yes, daughter, say daddy, is the same voice that says, No, you may never say anything like that to your mother again. And so, whether formative or corrective, the discipline in view builds into us the character God wants wants to see in us. That's the lens through which we are to view our hardships. Even more, it says we're not to regard them lightly. If the Lord disciplines the one He loves, how much more should we pay attention to Him in our hardships? Weariness sets in when we forget the Father's loving disposition toward us. I mean, if all you got from a father was a beating day after day after day and never once knew whether your father loved you, you would grow weary and you'd probably run away. But if you knew that he loved you, if you knew that he gave his best gift, his only son, for you, if you knew that He adopted you and He adopted you so that He could protect you and keep you and guide you and then give you the inheritance one day in His fullness, there's a reason to learn under that Father's rod. There's hope that He has something good for you in this pain. There's reason to bury your head in His chest when the pain comes. Which leads him to a second exhortation. Endure hardship for discipline. Endure hardship for discipline. That's, again, that's the NIV translation of verse 7. I think it's best here. We get an imperative, endure. And then we get the purpose of that endurance for discipline. 
hardship, tribulations, afflictions, when they come, we endure them for the purpose of learning whatever the Father wants to teach us. Not even Jesus was exempt from this. He was without sin. But as a son, he too had to endure various sufferings. And through them, he had to learn obedience. Isn't that what we saw in chapter 5? Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Chapter 5, verse 8. It's not that he did anything wrong and then needed correction. It's that part of his mission included his obedience being tested as a man under the most extreme pressures. Everything he learned in suffering, he learned by constant dependence upon his father through suffering. Why would things be any different for us? We are not greater than our master. We too will undergo the Lord's discipline. Unlike Jesus, though, sometimes ours will be corrective. Regardless, though, here's one thing we need to remember when that discipline comes, and it's in verse 7. God is treating you as sons. God is treating you as sons, as daughters, as children. Far from God being absent in our hardships, He is present as Father. It says, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, discipline confirms our status as God's sons. Children. Now, some people may have trouble with this line of reasoning because it rubs against some of our culture's assumptions about child-rearing. Becoming more and more popular is the notion that any, what they would call negative treatment, spankings, rebukes, bringing any kind of pain into a child's life is harmful. And if you embrace that, you're going to struggle with what Hebrews 12 has to teach. Because Hebrews 12 has as its backdrop the biblical portrait that parental discipline will, at times, have to inflict pain of some kind. At the same time, others struggle with this line of reasoning because their father inflicted pain unjustly. His motive was not love. He was abusive. In order to to accept these connections here that the writer of Hebrews is making, you too are going to have to be reminded of the biblical portrait of fatherhood. Godly fatherhood is just and is not arbitrary. Godly fatherhood is present to affirm the good while correcting in love. 
Godly fatherhood does not exasperate his children so that they will not grow discouraged. That's Colossians 3. We've got to have this vision of fatherhood in mind as you're reading Hebrews 12. And he says, God is treating you as sons. One essential aspect of a proper father-son relationship is discipline. All of God's children experience this discipline in various ways, unless you don't belong to God's children. And if you follow this logic here, receiving discipline from your Heavenly Father means that you must be a son, a child of God. So when you encounter hardships in the path of obedience, that doesn't mean you're cut off. When he does, what did the song say earlier? Crosses all our fair designs and lays us low. When he breaks all of our earthly schemes, what you were singing earlier, when that happens, it doesn't mean God's done with me. Your father has something to teach you through it. To help you mature as son, as daughter. You see this in other places in the New Testament. James 1.4 says that he wants the various trials to produce steadfastness. Having its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Nothing. That the father is doing something through our various trials. Discipline also conforms our character to God's holiness. Conforms our character to God's holiness. That's another reason to endure hardship for discipline. Listen to uh, verses 9 to 10. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. Earthly fathers discipline their children. They disciplined us, he says, as it seemed best to them. Meaning, it wasn't always perfect. After all, they're limited in knowledge. They they assess motives poorly. Sometimes they act impatiently. Nevertheless, we still respected them. In the end, we understood that they had our best interests in mind, is what he's saying. Well, how much more does our Heavenly Father deserve our respect and submission? He knows all things. He understands our motives perfectly. He never makes mistakes. His discipline is always just. And more than anyone else, He knows what's really and truly good for us. Listen to it again in verse 10. He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. Now this answers another question that often bothers us in suffering. Lord, what's the point? The suffering feels meaningless. And verse 10 says, no, it's not meaningless. The Lord brings discipline into our lives that we may share His holiness. That is what's good for you. Holiness. What's good for you 
regardless of what our culture tells us, what's good for you is not a pain-free life. What's ultimately good for you is holiness. It's conformity to the image of Christ. It's sharing in God's character. One way God makes that happen is by discipline, by bringing various hardships into the lives of His children that serve our holiness. God has a glorious aim in making you more and more like Himself. That's how a woman like Ann Judson can say, after tremendous loss, we wish to sit down submissively under the rod and bear the smart till the end for which the affliction was sent shall be accomplished. You can only say that when you know that the Father loves you, when He counts you among His children, and that He's brought this trial into your life to make you more like Him. He then gives one more reason to endure hardship for discipline. Discipline will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Notice, he's not minimizing the pain. Right? Christianity does, doesn't pretend the pain isn't there. This is not the power of positive thinking. It looks the pain straight in the face, and it weeps, and it struggles, and it buries its head in the Father's chest, and it cries, Father, this isn't pleasant. Make it stop. We see this even in our Savior, in the garden. If possible, let this cup pass from me. But not why will, but yours be done. It's not pleasant. Thankfully, though, the pain isn't the final word. For those who humble themselves before the Lord's discipline, for them, discipline will eventually yield, it says, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. What is that? If you go to James 3.18, so next book over from Hebrews, see something very similar. James 3, verse 18, relates these two concepts. So in Hebrews 12, the discipline yields righteousness, and that righteousness is peaceable. In James 3.18, it says this, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so here, peacemakers, they sow a harvest of righteousness. And that, is, and that too is done in peace. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Why do the apostles relate these two ideas? Righteousness and peace. Because the Old Testament did when it spoke of the Messiah's coming reign. All right, go to Isaiah 9 with me. I was just going to have you read them at home, but they're too good just to pass up. Isaiah 9. You're familiar with this verse from... A lot of 
Christmas activities, but uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now watch this in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. When you reign as Messiah in righteousness, what will it produce? Peace without end. Go to Isaiah 11. Another prophecy about the Messiah. There's Isaiah 11, 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness, there it is again, shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. What is the result? The wolf will lay down with the lamb. Peace. The leopard shall lay down with the young goat. And on it goes. Then one more, go to Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32. Verse 17, but I'll start in uh, 15. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result will be of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. The rule of the Messiah in righteousness will usher in a kingdom of peace on earth. When everything is rightly ordered before the Lord and made whole... And it seems to me, if we go back to Hebrews 12.11, it seems to me that Hebrews 12.11 is saying this, that when the Lord brings discipline into our lives, He does it to produce in us the righteousness of the Messiah's kingdom that will lead to peace. Discipline helps us submit our wills to the Father more and more such that our lives become signposts and pointers to the coming kingdom of the Messiah. When I was in college, I bought a tractor to help care for my grandmother's ranch. And one year, I mean, once a year, I would, I would hook it up to this heavy disc plow that cut deep into the earth. I had to tear up the hardened soil. Otherwise, the rains would just run off and allow the, wouldn't allow the grass to grow very well and the, and the winter oats to grow very well. 
When God brings discipline into our lives, it's like that plow cutting into the, the earth and churning out large rocks. But its goal is a bountiful harvest of righteousness that will lead to peace in Messiah's kingdom. When we are trained by it through faith, discipline will cause us to bear the fruit of Jesus' kingdom. The Christian life is not easy. Some Some people have this impression that by accepting Jesus, everything in life will get easier. It doesn't. Not only will becoming a Christian invite persecution and invite onslaughts from the evil one, God himself will take you through various hardships to discipline you. It turns out, I don't know if this is true of you, certainly true of me, certainly true of some of the saints in Scripture, turns out that we often set aside the pursuit of God and we grow lazy in the pursuit of holiness when everything's just fine. Listen to Psalm 30, verses 6 to 8. This is David. He says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. And then listen to this. Then you hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. That's how we act in prosperity. I shall never be moved. I don't need prayer tonight, guys. Everything's fine. Then God hides his face, and we're dismayed. He doesn't do it to destroy us. No, he does it to humble us and to drive us back to himself. Well, what does Psalm 119, verse 67 say? It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Did you hear it? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now, now since the affliction has come, I keep your word. Then verse 71 of the same Chapter, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The Christian life isn't easy. It's full of hardships. But none of them come by accident. They are designed by a good and loving Father to drive us into His arms and to conform us to His holiness. Whatever hardship you're going through, they will not be too much for you. In the same way God sustained His Son through suffering, He will also sustain you, adopted child of God. If you belong to Him, He relates to you as Father. Your hardships in the path of obedience are not signs that God has abandoned you, that He doesn't love you. Rather, He is present. He is Father. He knows what's good for you. Everything He brings into your life is motivated by love, a love that gives you what you truly need most, which is His holiness, which is His righteousness, which is Himself. Nine years after the Judsons lost Roger, 
Adoniram suffered a miserable six-month imprisonment for his faith. Anne was home with their three-and-a-half-month-old daughter, Maria. And during this time, Anne contracted an illness that prevented her from being able to, to feed her little girl. And again, I want you to listen to what she writes about that situation. Our dear little Maria was the greatest sufferer at this time. My illness depriving her of her usual nourishment, and neither a nurse or a drop of milk could be procured in the village. By making presents to the jailers, I obtained leave for Mr. Judson to come out of the prison still in fetters and take the little emaciated creature around to the village to beg a little nourishment from those mothers who had young children. Her cries in the night were heartrending when it was impossible to supply her wants. I now began to think that the very afflictions of Job had come upon me. When in health, I could bear the various trials and vicissitudes through which I was called to pass. But to be confined with sickness and unable to assist those who were so dear to me when in distress was almost too much for me to bear. Do you hear the objection, the question? that This is too much. And then she says this, And had it not been for the consolation of religion, meaning her Christian faith, and an assured conviction that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I must have sunk under my accumulated sufferings. What's she saying? Without the truths that we've just heard from Hebrews 12, without knowing the Father oversees her trials and orders them with infinite love and mercy, without knowing that He has this glorious end for her, she wouldn't have made it. So I'm telling you, hide these things in your heart now. Only by considering Christ and knowing your Heavenly Father will we be able to endure. These things were written for our endurance. You will face various trials. They will make you weary. You may even suffer to the point of shedding your blood. Consider Jesus for your endurance. It's not too much. Remember your Father's voice. The Lord disciplines the one He loves. It's not meaningless. He loves you. He wants you to share His holiness. It's not pleasant right now. But His discipline will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those trained by it. Brothers and sisters, you are in training. Training includes discipline. Endure your hardships for discipline. Don't give up. The finish line is coming. The glory stored up for us there will far outweigh these light and momentary afflictions. The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd and He will guide us to springs of living water and He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. 
Until then, let us endure hardships by considering Jesus. He is our only hope. And in Him, God treats us as sons and as daughters. We're going to sing a prayer now. It says in this song, Each hour is yours. I don't know what hour you're enduring right now, but... It says, each hour is yours. It's, it's our Father's hour. By wisdom planned, each deed empowered by sovereign hands. Meaning you can't do this by yourself. You're going, to need, you're going to need divine help. Render my spirit. Help me stand. Renew my spirit, I'm sorry. Help me stand. So make this your prayer now as we sing... May His Spirit work in you endurance. This podcast is brought to you by Redeemer Church, a community of believers in Fort Worth, Texas, committed to equipping God's people to delight in God's glory and declare that glory to our neighbors and the nations. For more information, visit our website at RedeemerFortWorth.org.